The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. This is your host, Corey Bradley. Thank you for joining us again this week as we have a very heavily packed show today as we're going to talk about the national championship that's coming up next Monday, January 13th between Clemson and LSU. It's kind of the the bowl between two Tigers. So it's going to be a very exciting game. We had that on tap. We also have uh, the NFL playoffs we're going to discuss and then also Tua Tungvaloa's decision to enter the NFL draft. But starting off with the national championship, it's two Tigers, one trophy. Something's got to give because we have LSU who's having a dream season. Will that dream season come to an abrupt end on Monday night, or does Trevor Lawrence lose his first game as a Clemson Tiger? So speaking of Trevor Lawrence, he's 29-0 and as a, as a college starter. At one point in high school, he had a 41-game winning streak. So he has not lost since 2017. This is a guy who's a leader. He really came onto the scene last year as a freshman. Uh, I think he became a household name during that 44-16 beatdown against Alabama where they just manhandled the Crimson Tide. Uh, nobody expected that. I don't th- even think Clemson expected to beat Alabama the way that they did in that game. But that's when Trevor Lawrence really uh, came onto the college football national scene is after that championship victory over Alabama and just the way they kind of dominated that game from start to finish. Now, when you compare the two teams by position, you have Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. You have Travis Etienne and Claude Edwards-Hilaire. And then at receiver, you have T. Higgins, Justin Ross, and Amari Rogers for Clemson. LSU has Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrence Marshall Jr. Um, from the defensive standpoint, you got Clemson's A.J. Terrell as a cornerback, Isaiah Simmons as a linebacker that they move around a lot. Tanner Muse, a very talented safety you'll see in the uh, defensive backfield. And then as well as Kevon Wallace, another outstanding standout that they have this year. Now for LSU, Grant Delpit, one of the best safeties in the country, uh, hands down. Christian Fulton, Derek Stanley Jr., and then Patrick Queen. We've seen Patrick Queen. He had the interception against Alabama right before the end of the first half when that led to Landon Dickerson's cheap shot on Christian Fulton. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't Christian Fulton. It was Kerry Vincent Jr. who he hit in that game, which led to a touchdown a play later. So these are two teams that are very talented. I just matched them up from position to position on both teams. Uh, this is a, going to be a fun game. I don't think it'll be any disappointment whatsoever when it comes to these two teams. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game throughout, but I'm looking forward. I'm excited. I know everyone else is, is excited for this time of the year for the two best teams to match up in the national championship. Now, when it comes to Clemson, Clemson, they're going for their third title in four years. So they've beaten Alabama twice. They lost to Alabama in the other defeat. But this is their opportunity to get a third title in four years. Dabo Swinney has done an amazing job building this Clemson program up. I mean, they're constantly one of the best teams every year, top five and here they are, like I mentioned, going for their third title in four years. I mean, you get a, a championship against LSU this year. We're talking Clemson dynasty. That's really what it is. And so Dabo Swinney, 
Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh. You talk about some of the best coaches in the nation. Dabo Swinney is making an argument to be to to overcome Nick Saban. I'm not saying he's there yet, but he's definitely on that path. And a lot of people have talked when Nick Saban does decide to leave Tuscaloosa and hang him up for good, that Dabo Swinney would be his uh, his successor because Dabo played receiver at Alabama and he won a championship at Alabama in the year 1992. So Clemson's going for their third title in four years. Their defense is really good. Outstanding defense. First and pass defense. They allow the fewest yards per game through the air. And then overall, they allow the fewest points per game uh, overall as well with 11.5. They only allow 11 points per game. So (laughs) I think it was... Ohio State and North Carolina are the only two teams who've gone over 20 points against them all season long. So not only are they good offensively, but they're really good defensively as well. So I mentioned Travis Etienne, their running back. He had over 1,500 yards, 18 rushing touchdowns, and then he had a nation best of eight yards per carry. Very explosive running back, tough. Uh, he can he can spring one at any time. So I expect him to get the ball quite a bit in the national championship game on Monday night. Their receiving core, they have a trio just like LSU does, and we'll talk about LSU a little later. Their receiving core is led by T. Higgins, who had 56 catches, over 1,100 yards, and 13 touchdowns. Justin Ross, who is from Phoenix City, Alabama, who also kind of came onto the scene last year as a freshman along with Trevor Lawrence. He had 61 catches for 789 yards and eight touchdowns. And then there's Amari Rogers the son of T. Martin, who was a quarterback at Tennessee, won a national championship after Peyton Manning. Amari Rodgers only had 28 catches this year coming off his ACL surgery, so uh, he hasn't really had the production that he would like, but he is still uh, very talented. And then there's Trevor Lawrence, as I mentioned, had over 3,400 passing yards, 36 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. I had someone tell me, and you probably heard me speak on the show a couple weeks ago about Trevor Lawrence and how someone was telling me how he's thrown more interceptions than he did last year. And I'm like, it's only eight interceptions. Like, it's still 36 touchdowns to eight interceptions. That's a great touchdown-interception, touchdown-to-interception ratio, and I'll take that any day with any of my quarterbacks. And like I mentioned, this guy has not lost a game since 2017. He is a winner and he wins at all costs. It doesn't matter who's he playing, who's he's playing against, where it's at. He's just one of those guys that has that it factor that we hear quite often in the, the sports world. Now, did you know the Buckeyes held Justin Ross to six catches for 47 yards? They held T. Higgins to four catches for 33 yards, and they held Amari Rogers to only one catch for 38 yards. Now, if this group of receivers which combined for 11 catches and 118 yards against Ohio State, if they have that same production against LSU, they're going to get blown out the water. I mean, this game won't even be close because LSU is going to score points. Like I mentioned how good Clemson's defense is, and it's outstanding, but you got to get points as well. Like I said, we talk about football. Defense is great, but you got to score touchdowns too. Field goals will not cut it. You can get field goals along the way, but you you better come through with uh, multiple touchdowns, especially in a game like this, face, facing a great offense that we've seen this LSU Tiger to become uh, LSU Tiger team to become this season. So they're going to have to be a group that makes plays in this game if Clemson wants to win their third title in four seasons. Now for LSU, they're hoping for their first title in 13 years. 
it's been quite some time. 07 was the last time this uh, this team won a national championship. So we're seeing, can they get it done? Will this be the year? This is a brand new LSU. As you heard Mike Lawson, who was in here on my show earlier this year, he spoke on LSU and how this is a new LSU that we're not used to seeing them throw the ball through the air and making plays down the field like they've been. We've always known LSU to be run first and play good defense and, you know, <laughs> play nine, six games against Alabama. But this year, this LSU team is for real, and they are scoring points like we've never seen before. And speaking of that offense, through the air, they're second in the nation in passing offense, and we know Joe Burrow is leading that way, the Heisman Trophy winning Joe Burrow. But they also have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their running back, who had over 1,300 rushing yards, 16 touchdowns. But this is the part right here that could be an ultimate factor in the game as Edward Hilaire had 50 catches this season. You So you think about a running back catching the ball 50 times and making plays in the passing game. We see what Christian McCaffrey does for the Carolina Panthers, who had over a 1,000 yards rushing and over a 1,000 yards receiving. Like This guy is impressive. Like I love Christian McCaffrey. He's one of the best running backs uh, in, the, in the country, in the NFL. And I remember having a conversation with my cousin Jeremy and, and my brother Antoine talking about which running back would you like to have between – McCaffrey, Fournette, and Dalvin Cook, the three running backs that were coming out that year. And at first, my cousin Jeremy said he he would go with Dalvin Cook. But after me kind of talking highly of McCaffrey and how he's an all-purpose back who can catch the ball, run the ball, and he can returns kicks and punts as well if you need him, uh, my cousin Jeremy kind of came on board. And he's like, you know what? You convinced me McCaffrey is the better back. And I believe we've seen that so far. Even though Dalvin Cook is having great success and Fournette had early success uh, before these last couple of seasons where he's been banged up here and there. So Jamar Chase is the next receiver. Probably uh, one of the – not not probably. He's definitely one of the best receivers in the country. But he's one of their leaders for the Tigers. He had over, over 1,500 yards receiving – 18 receiving touchdowns. Justin Jefferson had over 1,400 yards receiving and 18 touchdowns as well. And then the one player that probably gets overlooked by those two receivers' uh, success is Terrace Marshall Jr. He had 43 catches for 625 yards and 12 touchdowns. So when you think about receiving, you always hear Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, but Marshall Jr. is 6'4", 200 pounds, and, and makes plays just like the rest of them. Uh, even in that Oklahoma game, he had six catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns. So if LSU does win the game, I wouldn't be surprised if Marshall Jr. was the offensive game MVP just because Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are going to uh, attract so much attention from that Clemson secondary. Now, did you know that LSU is one of six teams to have two receivers go over 1,000 yards this season. So it was LSU, Minnesota, Hawaii. Hawaii actually had three receivers go over 1,000 yards this year. USC, North Carolina, and Wake Forest. Now, I was trying to tell people about that Minnesota team uh, prior to the Auburn-Minnesota matchup. And, you know, I had one guy who's an Auburn fan. He was saying that, uh, we'll beat Minnesota. It's no problem. You know, I don't. I don't. I expect them to beat them pretty easily. And I was. I. I gave them all the stats. I told them how I researched Minnesota and how this team was really good. But uh, they didn't want to hear. They didn't want. He didn't want to hear what I was saying. And I told them that Minnesota had great receivers in Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, and we seen just that against the Auburn Tigers that day. 
So LSU is one of six teams to have two receivers go over 1,000 yards this season. Now, talking about Joe Burrow, this guy's had the best season, a breakout season that you can imagine. I mean, he's thrown over 5,200 yards, which is second best in the nation. He's completed a nation's best of 77.6% of his passes, 55 touchdowns, and six interceptions. That's just insane. To throw 55 touchdowns and only six picks, like you'd always use that video game reference, but like I said, I couldn't even do this on a video game if I wanted to playing on the easiest level. So Joe Burrow has the best touchdown interception ratio uh, this year as well. And then he is second best when it comes to yards per attempt. He has... Uh, Average 10.9 yards per attempt, which is second only to Jalen Hurts. Now, that's the players on the field, the talent that we enjoy watching uh, in in the game of football. But there's always that chess match that's involved off the field between the coaches. And so the chess match that I'm looking forward to watching is Clemson's offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, versus LSU's defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda. And then you also have LSU's offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, versus Clemson's defensive coordinator, Brent Venables. So this will be interesting to see how these two uh, co- these coordinators, two coordinators for each team, I should say, what's their game plan going into the game. But the more important aspect is what happens throughout the game, especially after halftime. The adjustments. This is what great coaches do. I mean, it's one thing to game plan, but... Your game plan may not always plan as you hope when you enter that game. So the adjustments you make in the second half will be uh, are, are always critical. So what can we do differently that's not working in the first half? How can we approach this in a, in a different manner to try to exploit some of the weaknesses uh, that the opposing team has? So this chess match between these coordinators is going to be a joy to watch as well, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Now the determining factor for me in this game, which I believe will probably ultimately decide the outcome of the game, is the secondaries for both teams. Whichever defensive back group that can contain the opposing wide receivers the best will win this game. Uh, because I spoke on the trio that LSU has. I spoke on the trio that Clemson has. All talented receivers that will be playing in the NFL as first-round, second-round picks whenever they their time comes to enter the draft. The secondary for both teams, whoever wins more battles than the other, will win this game. It all starts with the defensive backs limiting big plays down the field, keeping the opposing receivers in front of you, and then you come up and make the tackle and not allowing yards yards after the catch, as we've seen with Clemson and Alabama last year when Justin Ross broke down that last, that late touchdown with uh, Savion Smith getting getting hurt early in the season. We hate to see that, you know, where he got hurt early in that game, I should say. But that kind of sprung and gave Clemson a lot of momentum in that game, and they just ran away with it throughout the rest of that matchup. So the defense with A.J. Terrell, Isaiah Simmons, Tanner Muse, and Kavon Wallace for Clemson, that matchup is going to be key, or that group is going to be key for Clemson. LSU, you have Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley Jr., Patrick Queen, uh, who I spoke on earlier, Kerry Vincent Jr., which group of secondary linebacker play in that passing game, and even in the running game, but more so in the passing game, which group of those secondaries and defensive backs uh, pairing will come out on top, I think will make the difference in this game. Now, 
no one would dispel the notion that these are the best two teams in the nation. What we've seen with LSU all year, what we've seen with Clemson all season, these are the two best teams in the nation because we don't always get that in a national championship game. Sometimes we get to the game and you see uh, it's a blowout, it's one-sided, and there's a team that was sitting at three or four or five that really should have been in the game you know, or been in that champ- national championship picture. I think about back to 04 when USC beat Oklahoma, I think it was 55-19. to 19. My Auburn Tigers went undefeated with Cadillac and Ronnie Brown and Jason Campbell, uh, Carlos Rogers. You know, Tommy Tuberville is one of my favorite coaches. I love Tommy Tuberville. And for that 0-14 to go undefeated and not get a chance to play in the national championship uh, was really disheartening. It was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, still tough to swallow if you when you really sit down and think about it, just how good that team was. Uh, Gene Chizik led the, led the defense that year as a coordinator. And so, you know, going back, like I promise you, if Auburn was in that game, there's no way you lose to USC 55-19. to Oklahoma had no no right or no, uh, no point being in that game, I should say. But Lou Holtz, who I'm glad is off TV now, he actually came out the other day and said that Alabama was the best team in the nation. And I don't know where he can uh, stake that claim where he thinks Alabama is the best team in the nation. They were really good. They had a good team. Defense wasn't anywhere like we known it to be. Uh, they went 11-2, and which is a, still a very outstanding season. But there's no way Alabama is the best team in the nation, and I don't know where Lou came up with that uh, opinion. But this feels like LSU's year. This feels like this is their season, just the way that they've gone through handling every team that they've played. Uh, a lot of blowouts, but there was a few close games. They beat Auburn by three, uh, beat Alabama only by five. Um, so this is kind of an LSU-type year just because it's something new. I feel like this is just what is supposed to happen for them. I mean, even the national championship game itself is being played in New Orleans. So they have a, a home game, basically, in the most important game of the year. Now, that doesn't guarantee the victory. We've seen this happen when Alabama played uh, LSU in the championship game. I believe it was 2012, I want to say, that year, uh, where Bama went in and, and shut out LSU. I mean, it took them forever to even get across the uh, 50-yard line. I think they finally got across like in the 40 in the fourth quarter, but... So this doesn't guarantee LSU winning this game. Like This is a Clemson team that's very experienced, coming off a national championship themselves. Now, they did lose a lot of players from that team, but they have a lot of talent that played in that game that are back returning uh, for this year's national championship as well. Now, for LSU, I believe at some point you're going to see the Tigers of LSU come out in their five-wide, empty set with quarterback with a quarterback draw by Joe Burrow. I've seen this all season long. Uh Joe Brady likes to call it in the around the 10, 15 yard uh yard line when they're driving, you'll see them go empty. And when you see that, expect that QB draw. And I I can already see it being the go ahead touchdown at the end or to put the game away, but I promise you you will see that QB draw at one point and I can see it being at the end to clinched the national championship for the LSU Tigers over Clemson uh, this year. So I have LSU winning 34-30. to 30. That's my prediction. Clemson is will be right there. I went back and forth. I was leaning Clemson, and I was like, well, it seems it's LSU's year. But then I was like, well, Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost all year. He hasn't lost in his career at Clemson. He hasn't lost since 2017. Which way do I go? 
But I'm, I'm sticking with LSU. I think they'll have just enough to become national champions this year. Now, when we return, we're going to talk about Tua Tungvaloa's decision to enter the NFL draft. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. We're about to talk about Tua. Tua and his decision to enter the NFL draft. Uh, Tua Tungabalo is one of the best quarterbacks, not just this year in college football and the nation, but all time. Like, I love Tua. I'm, now, this is something that I probably wouldn't say 10, 15 years ago as an Auburn fan, as my obsession with the Tigers was just uh, just not healthy. But I would never praise a guy like Tua um, Willingly, but I got I really love Tua. He actually reminds me a lot of Tim Tebow, like both left handed. Um, you know, believe they both wear thirteen. No, Tebow wears fifteen. He wore fifteen. Tua's thirteen, but they're both left handed. Uh, very adamant in their faith and their relationship with God. And I didn't like Tebow at Florida. I really didn't like. So that's just where I was uh, with my my fandom of the Auburn Tigers. But Tua reminds me a lot of Tebow and. You know, Tua is a lot better than Tebow, definitely as a passer. But the reason why I support Tua's decision is I knew he was going before he even announced that he was going to, um, for that press conference, that he was going to uh, give us what his decision was. I already knew. I told Matt Johnson that the next week's show I wanted to talk about the national championship and that I wanted to talk about Tua's pending decision for the NFL, but I already knew what it was. Like I had a conversation with a few Alabama fans last week, and they were both saying that Tua should come back and that why he would come back. And I think it was just more, you know, wishful thinking and, you know, them wanting to have him back for another season, the best quarterback in the school history. But from a realistic standpoint, I was trying to let them know, like, he and I'll give you the points of what I told them, but you'll hear my argument why he made the right decision to go ahead and leave. Uh, one of them mentioned that he should come back for the Heisman Trophy. I'm like, why? That's not really important in the grand scheme of things. He has a chance to be a first-round pick. He's already won a national championship. I discussed with Chris Liuzzi, who was a part of my show earlier in the year, who was a huge fan of the Indianapolis Colts. We were talking about Tua and what he should do, and we both shared the same sentiments that he should leave, that he should definitely leave. And Chris was like, we need to get in touch with Tua. We need to talk to him and, and make sure that he understands this is the right decision to do to go ahead and make that leap. Now, my first reason on why he made the right decision is because he's already established his reputation. There is nothing left to prove for Tua at Alabama. He threw for over 7,400 yards, completing 69% of his passes. Like, this is all-time career we're talking about 69 percent of your passes is pretty legit in the sec especially in the sec west as we know it's the toughest division in college football he also had 87 touchdowns in his career to only 11 interceptions so you think about that a 7.9 touchdowns to interception ratio so every eight touchdowns he throws he throws an interception i mean where are these numbers coming from like the some of these stats these guys put up 
uh, in today's game is just insane. Uh, every eight touchdowns and then he'll throw a pick, I'm, I'll take that any day uh, of the week. I don't care who your team is. I don't care who you root for. I don't care if you don't like Alabama at all. You you can't dispel the fact that, that Tua is one of the best to ever play this game. He's also won a national championship who uh, we know he came in relief for Jalen Hurts that year against Georgia. He ended up being the offensive MVP in that game, too. He only played one half and then overtime where he threw that touchdown down to Devontae Smith to beat Georgia 26-23. to So he has a championship under his belt. Really nothing else to prove when there's situations where a quarterback or a player has great stats, have a chance to leave, but they want to come back for that ring. He has the ring. Nothing else to prove, right? Well, he also has a passing efficiency rating of 199.4. This is an all-time best. Not just all-time at Alabama, not just all-time in SEC, all-time in NCAA history, an all-time best of 199.4 passing efficiency rating. Just to put that in, into perspective, the next closest was Kyler Murray with 181.3. So we're talking about Tua with 199.4. The next closest in NCAA history is Kyler Murray with 181.3. So his his game, his stats, they speak for themselves. The number two reason is the injury risk is too high. He can always get a degree later. Like You go ahead and get your money Set aside uh, some funds. If you want to go back to college, get complete your degree, you'll have the money to do that. And he can't be uh, far from that if 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 he hasn't already has. He may already have his degree. I'm sure, I'm sure some of you Alabama fans or uh, college fans in general may already have the answer to that question. But I believe the injury risk is too high. And I'm going to tell you, like we just started the year 2020, but going back to March 2018 in spring practice, he broke his index finger that required surgery. Then in October 2018 against Arkansas, he sprained his knee. November 2018, he had a quad injury that caused him to leave the game. In December 2018, a month later against Georgia, we know he had the high ankle sprain on his left ankle and Jalen Hurts came in where the roles were reversed. Two was hurt. Jalen comes in, saves the Crimson Tide. They come back and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. That injury to Tua, though, led to the first tightrope surgery that we've known he had to get later on, as I'll discuss that here in a bit. So that was the first moment where he had to have this certain procedure to assail the the, the healing process from a high ankle sprain. When a high ankle sprain, you're usually out think like six to eight months from what I hear. Oh, I'm sorry, six to eight weeks, I should say. Let me correct that, six to eight weeks. So this procedure should, it, what it's supposed to do is to help assail the process to get him back on the field. And like I said, we that was the first when we first uh, heard of that type of procedure. Well, the next year, October 2019, just a few months ago, against Tennessee, he suffered another high ankle sprain to his right ankle. And this was the second tight ropes surgery that he had to uh, receive from the doctor. So he just went from a tight rope surgery on his left ankle in December 2018. And then October 2019, less than a year later, he's having that same procedure done only to his right ankle this time. 
So this is something that I've only stayed in 2018 and then getting to 2019. And we all know what that last injury was with in November against Mississippi State when he uh, dislocated his hip. That's a year and a half of injuries from Mar- March 2018 to November 2019. I just gave you quite a few uh, situations where he's just been banged up and I know people say, well, maybe he should come back and he could prove that he's healthy. He's not going to, uh, you know, be able to participate in the combine and different pro day and drills uh, that me and Russ Brooks were discussing prior to the show. But to me, him coming back, what if he gets hurt again? And it's even worse than what he's suffered so far, where it could be career threatening, uh, where he can't even play the game again. And we know what happened. Speaking of Alabama with Tyrone Protho, where he had that gruesome injury where he was never the same. He was going to be a guy who was going to be in the NFL for a long time. And, uh, you know, who knows what he's up to now. We we pray all is well with him. But uh, just just unfortunate when you see players with the God-given talent that they have and then to see it being uh, taken away just from one play. So that's my number two reason is having to uh, – Go ahead and make the the leap to the NFL, which I support uh, 100%. But the deciding factor, I think, where a lot of people may not have realized that will play a decision or that probably played a position, a decision in him making that, that leap for the league is the low supply of first-round quarterback talent in next year's draft or this year's draft, I should say, now that we're in 2020. The low supply of first-round draft picks – at the quarterback position and then the high demand of teams who need a quarterback and will look to take a quarterback in that first round. Now, I'm going to put help wanted signs out all over the place. I may not put it out physically, but I probably should do it digitally for uh, for for these teams who need quarterbacks. There are so many teams who will draft a quarterback in the first round. If not the first, they'll take it in the second I'm going to put out flyers for these teams because they, they need some help and they need it badly at that quarterback position. These teams can offer great starting salary. I mean, you can make millions of dollars right out the gate. The day you're drafted as a first-round quarterback, you have four guaranteed years with a fifth-year team option. So it's great starting salary straight out the, uh, out the gate. It's a fulfilling career. I mean, how many people – you know, growing up, would love to be a, pro, a professional athlete playing in the NFL at the quarterback position. Uh, the glamour and the fame that comes with it off the field. Now, uh, there's a lot of work involved, I'm sure. But like I said, you're still getting paid great and you're still getting played, uh, paid to play a game on a professional level. And then the other part of these teams who were uh, putting out these flyers for help wanted uh it's an immediate opportunity. You have an immediate chance to play from day one. And I think this is what kind of led to Kyler Murray choosing NFL over the MLB when he was uh, the first-round pick for the Oakland Athletics. If you're drafted in baseball, you still have to go through the minor league system, and it may take you three, four, five years to get to the majors, or you may never make it at all. I mean, there's been several high draft picks who never make it to the major leagues. And so – with Kyler choosing the NFL, day one he became an NFL starter. So I think that's another opportunity that these teams, with these help wanted signs out, uh, they can offer that as well. So there's a few teams who will be definitely hiring new quarterbacks in the NFL draft, and particularly in the first round. The first pick who will be definitely taking a quarterback is the Cincinnati Bengals. 
They have their number one pick. Joe Burrow is going to be that number one pick. Now, if Tua would have stayed healthy, you may have conversation between who would be number one between Burrow and Tua. But the reason why the Bengals will take Burrow regardless is because Joe Burrow is from Ohio. So the Bengals have the selling point of drafting a new quarterback who will be their franchise guy for uh, the near future. And then he's from the, the state of Ohio. I mean, this is like a marketing dream for uh, the, the owners and everybody that's involved in the front office on making money for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, the next team is the Miami Dolphins. They own the number five pick, the number 18 pick for my Pittsburgh Steelers that was traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, which I'm so glad we made that move. I love Minka. Then they have the third first-round pick is from Houston, which we don't know where that pick will be just yet because Houston is in the NFL playoffs. They're still playing. We don't know where that pick will land. But the Dolphins, we remember last year, they started this whole talk of tank for Tua, and they pretty much put that plan into action as they traded Minka Fitzpatrick, who I mentioned. They traded Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills to the Texans. They traded Kenyon Drake, another uh, former Alabama star, to the Arizona Cardinals. So they traded their best players to stack and stock up on draft picks. Now they have three total in the first round. So with that fifth pick, if I was them, I'm taking Tua hands down. I'm not waiting to 18th and maybe he'll he'll still be there. I'm going to go ahead and take Tua at number five and be done with it. And the reason why I wouldn't say go ahead and take him at five is because I'm going to give you the next couple teams who will definitely be taking the quarterback. They're right behind the Dolphins at number five. So the next team is the Los Angeles Chargers at number six. Phillip Rivers getting up in age. He threw 20 interceptions this year. Chargers had a bad season. I think it's really looking to the point where they're going to move on from Phillip and let him uh, play elsewhere and start this whole rebuilding process in Los Angeles. So they have the number six pick. If they get a chance at Tua, they could take him. They may look at Justin Herbert as well from Oregon. I think it'll probably come down between those two QBs when it gets to their number six selection. At number seven, the Carolina Panthers. I think they're definitely taking a quarterback as well. I was on the maybe fence, but until they hired Matt Rule from Baylor as their new head coach. There was already talks about Cam Newton not coming back, that they would trade him, that they would cut him. He would look for a new opportunity elsewhere. But when they hired Matt Rule, this signified to me that they're in a full rebuild mode, that they're starting from scratch, and that they'll probably look at taking a quarterback with that number seven pick. Now, do the Dolphins, like I said, they get to a six and seven, you know, what did the Chargers do? What did the Panthers do in those situations? Because Herbert could go six to the Chargers, but who would the Panthers take at seven? Because I don't know if there's another quarterback out there that's worthy of first-round talent. Because outside of Burrow, Tonga Valoa, and Herbert, I don't see another QB that's worthy of taking in the first round. Now, there's always teams who are impatient and they're desperate, and they'll take somebody who has no business being in the first round. We've seen it with E.J. Manuel and the Bills. I was surprised he got drafted, period let alone the first round. I didn't think he would get drafted at all. So there's always teams that reach for QBs in the first round. Uh, Tannehill, I know he's having success with the Titans. We'll talk about that. But he didn't work out in Miami. He was never a first-round pick either. So the Panthers could look to move up ahead of the Dolphins. The Chargers could look to do the same if they feel like the Dolphins could take a quarterback and probably two at that number five pick. So I think there will be some maybe some trades involved too if uh, one of those teams want to – certainly get the QB that they desire. 
Now, another team who's definitely taking a quarterback is the Tampa and eight, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number 14. Jameis Winston, is, oh, his days in Tampa Bay are over. He threw 30 interceptions this year. He had 33 touchdowns, but he threw 30 interceptions. So that's a horrible uh, touchdown-interception ratio. You're looking one-to-one. So every touchdown he throws, he's going to throw a pick uh, right behind it. And a lot of times it's been four interception-type games. So Jameis is done in Tampa. I think they'll finally move on from him. Their head coach is Bruce Arians. He's a quarterback guy. He loves QBs. Uh, this is what has been his calling card since he became a coach in the NFL. So I expect the Buccaneers to take a first-rounder, uh, a quarterback in that first round also. Now, they may have to trade up to get one of the guys they desire if that player is high on the draft board, or they could just sit and uh, wait and see who's at 14 and take whoever is available there, whether it's a guy like Jacob Eason, uh, maybe even Jake Fromm. I don't see him as a first-round quarterback, but who knows? Like I said, teams have done uh, – sillier things before now there's two teams who i'm about to talk about who i wouldn't say are definitely hiring i would say they're maybe hiring they have quarterbacks in place that could hold it down for another year or two and see if this is their guy but i wouldn't be surprised if they still took a quarterback somewhere in that first round so the first team i want to discuss is the oakland raiders they have the number 12 pick and the number 19 pick i believe uh you know, these two picks, one of them is probably from the Khalil Mack deal. That 19th pick is probably from the Khalil Mack trade that they uh, made a couple years ago, last year whatsoever. But this is a situation where they have Derek Carr, but how much do they believe in Derek Carr? John Gruden is the head coach there, as we all know, and there's already been rumblings about Carr and Gruden not being on the same page. So, I, there's usually some truth to those rumors when you know they say when when there's smoke there's usually fire so I could see the Raiders taking a first rounder uh, a QB I should say again in one of those first round draft picks and this is a team they love winners they love winners so uh, if for whatever reason Tua Tonga Blow is available at twelve I could see them taking twelve and taking two taking thirteen at twelve to a tongue of Aloha to be their new QB for the franchise because, like I said, they love drafting winners. They took Josh Jacobs from Alabama, Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State, and they also took Cleveland Farrell in the first round out of Clemson last year. And then later on, they drafted Hunter Renfro from Clemson. So they are known for drafting winners, players who come from winning programs who are used to a winning culture as they're trying to develop that saying in Oakland. With John Gruden, head coach, general manager Mike Mayock, I think this is their their M.O. This is what they're looking to do is get players who are talented but also come from winning cultures so we can try to implement that same uh, with the Raiders as they prepare for their move to Las Vegas. Now, that's the one team that may be hiring. The other team that may be hiring is the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are still playing in the in the playoffs. They have the Ravens this weekend. We'll talk about that later. They have a first-rounder. We don't know where that pick's going to land because they're still playing. But Ryan Tannehill's had a great season in relief of Marcus Mariota. He has 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. I hope they don't believe that Tannehill's the guy because I definitely don't believe he's the guy. I never believed he was the guy, especially when he was in, in, starting with Miami. I didn't even think he was the guy there. So, But he's having a great season uh, getting the Titans to the playoffs as they take on Baltimore. But I wouldn't be surprised if – 
late in the first round. They took a QB, maybe like a Jake Fromm, somebody like that who will be available at the end of the first round. So I think the Titans are another team to watch out as they could draft their next signal caller in the draft in a couple months. Now, to me, this is another opportunity that these teams that I alluded to, they could take this kind of approach. And personally, if I was a general manager, this is the approach that I like to take. Uh, I would like to take if I was in that role drafting a QB as a rookie, whether it's first round or just somewhere in that draft and you're looking for this guy to be your future quarterback. I like for my guys to draft a guy, sit him down for a year, let him get accustomed to being a professional. There's a huge difference between being a full-time student of the game and then there's between a full-time student athlete. Like There's a whole difference between a full-time student of the game and being a full-time student, period. Uh, so, like, this is an opportunity. Like I said, you draft a rookie guy, let him sit for a year, let him get behind, you know, a guy that's, that's already proven, a guy that, you know, is is a veteran, that he may know he's holding it down for a year or two until that quarterback is ready. But to me, that's what I like to do. I, it's already a lot of pressure to have that QB coming in and try to learn on the fly. And we all hear how quarterback is probably the toughest position in sports. And then you want to throw them into the fire from the start. Now, there's certain guys who can handle that pressure, but most most of the time uh, they need to sit down and, and take that first year as a, as a learning year. Now, the first player – who I'll mention, like, you can use a bridge quarterback system. And I'll tell you, going back to 1999, when the Philadelphia Eagles drafted Donovan McNabb with the second pick in the draft, they didn't let Donovan start from the get-go. He was not the starting quarterback. They allowed him to sit and learn, and he allowed – I think it really made him better as a whole because he wasn't – forced to be the guy from day one and I was a huge McNabb fan I had a McNabb jersey I followed the Eagles a lot heavily uh when he was there I know I'm a Steelers fan now it's mostly because of Mike Tomlin but man prior to Mike Tomlin when McNabb was to the Eagles I was all about Philadelphia and I know it may be crazy especially if you're listening up there in Pennsylvania but this is this is uh, kind of where I was it started with McNabb I don't really follow I, I being in Alabama, there's not a professional team here, so you're kind of like all over the place. Like I'm a Spurs fan in basketball, uh, Marlins fan in baseball. So with the NFL, like I said, I would follow McNabb a whole lot when he was, you know, with the Eagles, and then you know Mike Tomlin as being the head coach for the Steelers. Now that's one situation using the bridge QB where it worked out for them, as McNabb was great and everything he did in Philadelphia. The next situation was in 2005 when the Packers selected Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre was you know he's legendary Brett Favre but is he retiring is he not retiring they were kind of going through that whole um, ordeal with with Brett and when he was a Packer but they took Aaron Rodgers in the first round and I don't think they knew Aaron Rodgers would be this good but I guess they seen something in him to take him in the first round as we remember that day with him waiting and waiting and waiting in the green room to be selected but Aaron Rodgers didn't play for the first couple seasons. And then finally, you know, the Packers pulled the plug on Favre and they said, hey, it's Aaron's team. And now Aaron is a top three quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. In 2017, you had the Kansas City Chiefs draft Patrick Mahomes with Alex Smith being that bridge quarterback. 
Now, I was shocked when they made that move to trade up and take Patrick Mahomes. This was a Chiefs team who was coming off a great run, made it to the playoffs. Uh, that may have been the year they lost to my Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. But they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes, and they gave up quite a few uh, good draft picks to to get that selection to take Patrick Mahomes. And so I was kind of shocked just because you had a guy like Alex Smith in place. But, you know, Andy Reid's a QB guy. He takes a quarterback every single draft. He loves quarterbacks. I remember, you know, I said talking about the Eagles where, you know, McNabb's a quarterback. You didn't have Brian Westbrook and Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin at the time. Andy Reid took that first-round pick, traded out the first round into the second round, and the first selection of that draft was Kevin Cobb. So you have a franchise quarterback in place, but then instead of getting that quarterback help, you go get another quarterback with your first selection. So Andy Reid will take quarterback every single year, but this one with Patrick Mahomes, uh, he's they definitely struck gold with this guy. He's by far a uh, top-five quarterback. I wasn't quite sure, even though coming off that season he had last year, throwing like 50 touchdowns and being MVP, I wanted to see more than one year. I was like, okay, we've seen guys have good good year, and then they figure it out, and they're not the same. Even though the talent that he was displaying was was amazing, uh, I was having a conversation with my cousin and my brother about top five quarterbacks. I wasn't quite ready to have Mahomes in that in that deal yet, just because I want to see more. But this year, he's he's proven to me like he is uh, definitely. A bona fide top five quarterback, hands down. Just some of the throws he makes uh, with different angles and the accuracy and his arm strength. I mean, the dude is he's legit. He is the real deal, hands down. Now, the next situation or next example that I should say as far as using a bridge quarterback and taking a first rounder is 2018 with the Ravens when they drafted Lamar Jackson. Joe Flacco was that bridge quarterback. He was to me, he was never good. He was always average. Now, I know he won a Super Bowl. He had one great postseason run where he threw 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions. But to me, he was always that guy. He just had a nice little run. It's like in baseball, you have an, a, a hitter, you know, get on a 15-game winning streak who was batting 208 before. It's like sometimes you just find that groove and you're in the zone. I think that's what happened with Joe Flacco. So they finally made the right decision. Took a guy like Lamar Jackson. It broke my heart because the Steelers had a chance to take him, I believe, at the 27th pick, and he didn't take him. We took Terrell Edmonds at safety. But Lamar Jackson fell to the end of the first round to where Baltimore traded back into that round to get him. And when they made that move to trade back into the first, I knew what they were doing because they were drafting Lamar Jackson to get that fifth available year with that comes with uh, being attached to being a first-round pick, you're guaranteed four, and that fifth year becomes a team option. So that's why you'll see a lot of teams trade back into the first late in that first to get a quarterback to gain an extra year of control in that player's contract. So you look at it, like I said, being a Steelers fan, you have Lamar Jackson, Heisman Trophy winning Lamar Jackson in the AFC North with the Ravens, Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winning Baker Mayfield for the Browns in the AFC North and soon to be Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winning Joe Burrow for the Bengals in the AFC North. So my Steelers, our defense has been great. We had an awesome year defensively. We have to figure out offense because 
I'm telling you, with this with this way the things are going, with Jackson being in division, Mayfield in division, and then Burrow, Joe Burrow being there soon, uh, my Steelers have had to figure out that quarterback situation. Even though I believe in Mason Rudolph, we got to figure out a way to stay healthy and and get more weapons on that side of the ball. So that wraps up this segment of Tua, why he made the right decision to go pro. I told you he has already established his reputation. The injury risk to return is too high. And the low supply of first-round quarterbacks, along with the high demand of teams who need a first-round quarterback and a franchise QB, is so high he has to take full advantage of it. So this is why I support Tua. I'm glad he made the decision. I believe it will work out for him in the long run. Now, when we return, we're going to talk about the NFL playoffs and some of the matchups that are on tap for this upcoming weekend. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Welcome back to the Sweet Spot. We've already discussed the national championship January 13th between LSU and Clemson. We talked about Tua Tungabalo and his decision to enter the NFL draft. Now it's time to talk about the NFL playoffs and the games that are on tap for this weekend. Starting off with the AFC, Houston taking on Kansas City. Houston won their first meeting against the Chiefs 31-24 in Arrowhead Stadium. And we all know how tough it is to win in Arrowhead, especially this time of the year where it's super cold out there in Kansas City. Now, this game could be determined by which team runs the ball more efficiently and effectively, which result as a result sets up the play-action downfield passes that we know Watson and Mahomes, this matchup between these two QBs, they're going to look to throw it downfield and make plays in the air to kind of take advantage of the other team's weakness in secondary. Now, when I say weakness in secondary, it's more so against Houston because Kansas City's pass defense is one of the best in the NFL. Now, they they did lose one Thornhill, the safety out of Virginia, uh, to an ACL injury a couple weeks ago. So this is where, uh, you know, I mentioned about running the ball is going to be important is because both teams are horrible against a run. So which team can run the ball better may be the deciding uh, factor in this matchup as they meet again for the second time this season. Now, Houston has the fourth worst pass defense, as I alluded to how bad their secondary is. It's the fourth worst in the entire league. I had a Bills fan tell me last week that uh, prior to their matchup with the Texans that, uh, you know, Houston's defense, their pass defense is one of the worst, and how he felt that should be enough to get them a win. Well, there's a huge difference between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen is consistently inconsistent, while Patrick Mahomes is a top-five quarterback. So I had the Chiefs winning 34-23, to moving on to the AFC Conference Championship. The other game in the AFC is Tennessee and Baltimore. Uh, I think this could be an interesting game, at least early. It may slide away late. I may be giving away my prediction here early as well. But Derrick Henry had 34 carries, 182 yards, and a touchdown over their win against the Patriots. That defense held Tom Brady to 20 for 37 for 209 passing yards. Tom Brady only completed 54% of his passes. Uh, This is something we just don't see from a Patriot-led team with Brady at the helm. But 
you know, he doesn't have much help at receiver or uh, just a lot of – they're lacking that supporting cast they normally have. And I believe they realize how much they miss having Rob Gronkowski as a member of the New England Patriots as well as he retired last year. And uh, who knows, maybe he'll come back for one more run with Tom Brady before Brady decides to hang him up. I would not be shocked if Gronk decided to do that. But talking about the Titans – you know, they coming off that upset win in Foxborough over the New England Patriots. But I'll tell you what's being lost in that win is Ryan Tannehill going 8 of 15 for 72 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. That's not going to cut it against the Ravens. There's no way you can expect to have 72 passing yards and, and, and beat this Ravens team as they're a lot better uh I think they'll be a lot more prepared than the Patriots in stopping Derrick Henry and forcing Tannehill to hurt them in the passing game. Now, in Baltimore, we all know this has been Lamar Jackson's year. He will definitely be the the MVP whenever that award is announced. He had 36 touchdowns, only six interceptions. That's a 6-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. And speaking of six, he was also six in the league in rushing with over 1,200 yards. So this is Lamar Jackson. His, like I said, I'm not shocked what he's doing. Uh, it's unfortunate he is in Baltimore playing against my Steelers twice a year. So we have our hands full uh, for the next decade with him being a member of the Ravens. Now, Tennessee plays the same run-first, solid defense mentality as Baltimore does, but the Ravens do it much better with Jackson and Mark Ingram and Earl Thomas leading the way. So this is a team with Baltimore. They've won 12 games straight. They're 14-2. and two. Uh, They're just on a whole nother level, kind of like what I spoke with LSU. This Ravens team is really, really, really good. And who knows, this could be their year to win a Super Bowl as well. Now, another interesting stat, Baltimore was outrushed in the game only twice all season. So there's only been two times that the opposing team had more rushing yards than them. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen in this game, but I don't think it really matters if Tennessee will outrush him because I just feel like with Lamar Jackson and his passing game, his ability to make plays with his arm as well as his legs uh, will be enough for the Ravens to get this victory. Now, some say the Patriots are ranked at the top defensively just like the Ravens uh, are, and the Patriots couldn't do anything with it. So while the Ravens be able to do anything in stopping Derrick Henry, the difference is there's no way this Titans team holds Baltimore to only 13 points. Instead, I think they'll only score 13 points, as I have Baltimore winning 31-13. to 13. Moving on to the NFC, first of all, I'll talk about the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers. This is uh, another fantastic battle between Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, two of the best quarterbacks in the league, two of the best players who are great at improvising, scrambling outside the pocket, making plays with their feet or still looking downfield to complete a great outstanding pass as they always do. Now, anytime these two teams meet, I think of the 2014 NFC Championship game, and this was the game where Green Bay's Richard Richard Rodgers, their tight end, famously bobbled the onside kick that was a huge part of the game that helped the Seahawks complete their come-from-behind victory as they came from behind to win 28-22 uh, to in overtime on that Russell Wilson touchdown to Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin. If I get talk today, I'll get some of this out and we can finish. But So the, the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks won that game 28-22 to in that game. 
in the NFC Championship in 2014, whenever they meet, this is what I think about is that uh, particular comeback that I've just spoken about. Now, Seattle is one of the worst teams against the run, and they're one of the worst teams against the pass. I don't know if this is it for Seattle. I think it will be, but Russell Wilson is a magician. He has tricks up his sleeve. He's done it before, but I believe this is it for the Seahawks. I think their rash of injuries and their deficiency is on the defensive side of the ball will finally get them in the end as I have Green Bay winning 27-17. to 17. The other matchup in this game and probably, probably the most interesting uh, matchup in this NFL playoffs for this weekend is Minnesota and San Francisco. Uh, you have Minnesota who appears to be healthy. I didn't think they were as healthy as they showed against the Saints. And you heard me on my last show that I wasn't sure about Delvin Cook. I wasn't sure about Adam Thielen, Eric Kendricks. But Cook balled out. Adam Thielen had an awesome game, including the uh, catch downfield that set up the, the go-ahead um, touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, who is another playmaker for that offense. Uh, so they're very balanced. They they run the ball, but they have playmakers on the outside, like I mentioned with Kyle Rudolph and Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Defensively, they're fifth in scoring defense. So they allowed the fifth fewest points all year, and they kind of had that bend-but-don't-break mentality. They are middle of the road on yards allowed, but for somehow, some way, when it gets down inside the red zone, they can hold you uh, to a field goal to that represents that fifth scoring defense that they have. Now, my concerns for the Minnesota Vikings is really about Xavier Rhodes. I'm not sure if uh, you know he's had that kind of up and down year, and when he gets beat, it's really, really bad. So I don't know uh, if this will happen again against San Francisco. I wouldn't be shocked because when we talk about San Francisco, their offense is full of playmakers with George Kittle and uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Debo Samuel has been awesome. Uh, Kendrick Bourne is another receiver who's making plays for them. And there's a lot of misdirections in this offense. Kyle Shanahan does a great job of using motion, using counters, uh, showing one formation and you seeing it over and over and then doing something completely different off of that. I think this will be a great matchup. It's going to be interesting to see how that offense goes against the Vikings defense. But talking about the 49ers defense, they're second overall in total defense. So that includes against the run and against the pass. So they do a great job in both facets of the game defensively. And there's a lot of depth in that front seven. They have Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Dre Greenlaw, and Fred Warner. But the biggest news for the 49ers are the potential returns of D. Ford and Quan Alexander. D. Ford went to Auburn, was injured a lot of that time, but he had a breakout senior season that led to him being a first-round pick for the Chiefs. When the Chiefs traded him to the 49ers, I was like, man, the Niners have really added a huge uh, component to their defense. which was only going to make them a lot better. He's been out with a hamstring injury. Maybe he'll be back this weekend, hopefully so. Quan Alexander has been out as well. I believe it was with a pec injury. He went to LSU. I'm, he's from Oxford, Alabama. I remember him coming out of high school, and I wanted him to really attend Auburn. But, you know, he chose LSU instead. When the Buccaneers let him walk in free agency, the Niners scooped him up. I'm just making this defense so much better than what it was already uh, planning to be prior to the Ford and Alexander acquisitions. So this Niners team, they're legit. And Kyle Shanahan is the head coach. He calls the plays. He's the reason Matt Ryan was the MVP when he was the coordinator for the Falcons because uh, I believe Matt Ryan is 
average, slightly above average, maybe. Uh, but that year with the MVP season was really about Kyle Shanahan and his tutelage and guidance in Atlanta. Now, my concerns for San Francisco is, does Shanahan trust Garoppolo? I mean, you, you've heard Rex Ruiz, who's a longtime uh, 49ers fan. He's a native of California. He was on my show months ago. He spoke on Jimmy G. Would be That's the area that he wanted to see improve. See Jimmy G really be a franchise quarterback, making better decisions, making smarter throws, because we've seen him be great, but we also see him get flustered in the pocket and just throw a duck and two interceptions in the game, three interceptions in the game. Uh, so Garoppolo, that's going to be interesting to see. Does Kyle Shanahan really let Garoppolo play and trust him to make downfield throws? Now, this game is going to be a battle. So a lot of times we talk about, what, special teams. Special teams, I think, could be the deciding factor in this game. Who will have the better performance? Is it Minnesota's Dan Bailey, Britton Colquitt, and Amir Abdullah, or San Francisco's Robbie Solid Gold, as Chris Berman uh, always gave him that nickname. I love Chris Berman, just hearing him do his highlights. Robbie Solid Gold, Mitch Wisnowski, and Richie James Jr. So which special teams unit will be better overall? Because not only in the kicking game, punting game, return game, but just the importance of flipping field position, uh, making that tackle in the return game, on the coverage units as well. So I think special teams will be a huge difference. I could see Robbie Gold hitting the game-winning kick to send the 49ers to the NFC Championship game the first time in a few years. I have the Niners winning 30-27 to moving on. So I have the Niners beating the Vikings, the Packers beating the Seahawks, Ravens beating the Titans, and the Chiefs beating the Texans. Now, that's all home teams winning games. Last week, we only seen in the wild card round one home team win, and there was three home teams that lost. So we'll see. This is what makes the NFL playoffs great. You never know what's going to happen until the game is played on the field. Now, when we return, we're going to talk about today's Triple C segment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. It's time for today's Triple C segment, Corey's Closing Comments. And this is what I want to share with you today. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That comes from Psalms 46 and 10 in the New International Version. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, This is something that every time I go home, I'm hanging out at my Aunt Melissa's house. She has this scripture hanging out in her hallway. So every time I walk down that hallway to the restroom or going to the, one of the back rooms, I look at that scripture and I'm reading it and I'm just, you know, it just reminds me, it keeps me in remembrance to always be still, know that he is God. He is handled, he is going to handle everything you're dealing with. And when he says be still, it's not from a physical standpoint. It means from a spiritual standpoint, being still in your faith. If you believe today, keep believing. It's not believe today I don't believe tomorrow. I'm going back and forth. But God wants us to be still in our faith. Be still in our relationship with Him. Be consistent on a daily basis. And know that He is God. And He will always be exalted among the nations. And He will be exalted in the earth. 
And always know there's nothing better than being in the sweet spot. Stay in the sweet spot for the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.